0: turn on the news and you start looking at what the world is doing in other countries in Iraq, Afghanistan, Russia, China, all Christians are being beheaded. Their lives are being lost. I'm not looking on the news and seeing Buddhists losing their lives. I'm not looking on the news and I'm not seeing Jehovah's Witnesses losing their lives. I'm seeing Christians, the ones who are standing for the Lord. Because the world can care less about if you're serving Buddha, if you're, if you're Islamic, they can care less. But if you're serving Jesus, now we have an issue because they know who the one true God is. See, the world thinks that we're the problem. They think that Christians are the problem. For everything that's going on in the world, of how crazy it's getting, they think we are the problem. And that is not true. And it's not the first time the world thought we were the problem. Because in 1 Kings 18, 17, King Ahab said this to Elijah. He said, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? See, in that time, King Ahab thought everything that was going on around him, the drought, the reason why there's so much weirdness going on in Israel, of why there's so much Anarchy is because Elijah was still alive. He thought that Elijah was the reason. If we just kill him, everything's going to be fine. That's just like the world today. The world today is thinking if we could just kill all the Christians, we should be good. We should be on one agenda, one order. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get the one world order. And in order to do that, they have to kill us all first. But we're not the problem, we're the solution. To the problem <laughs> and Elijah knew he wasn't the problem because in first Kings 18:18 he said this he said I have not made trouble for Israel Elijah replied but you and your father's family have you have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the bail Elijah knew what the real problem was Elijah knew that the king forgot the ways of the Lord, started following Baal. Again, it's just like the world today. They forgot the way of the Lord. They're following all these other gods, quote-unquote other gods, and now we're seeing the result of that. We're seeing the result. The world is trying to remove every avenue of God out. Started in the schools. Let's take prayer out. Let's take, you can't say Jesus no more. Let's take that out. They're trying every avenue to get rid of us. They're not trying every avenue to get rid of their gods. It's our God they're trying to get rid of. And if you look at what Elijah did after he received the word of the Lord, he said to King Ahab in verses 19 and 21, if you didn't get your Bible reading today, I'm just letting you know ahead, you're going to get it today. So... And this is what Elijah said. He said, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him, but the people said nothing. Elijah called out 850 prophets. He called out a king, he called out a queen, and he called out their gods. One man, versus 850, a king, a queen, and their gods. But that one man had something up his sleeve. That one man had the Lord on his side. And then, if you look at what happens next, in verses twenty-two to twenty-four, then Elijah said to them, "I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has four hundred and fifty prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let us let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves, and let it, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood. But do but don't set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull." And put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. This is an actual representation of trial by fire. (laughs) This is it. He challenged them to a fire showdown. Because there's only one God who can answer by fire. And his name is Jesus. So they agreed to it in verses 26. So they, gave, so they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is asleep and he must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Now we all know or well, we should know that our lives are supposed to be sacrifices for the Lord. We are the altar and the sacrifice for the Lord. Because in Romans 12, 1, I'm not sure if it's in the PowerPoint. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all of he, all the things he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. As you can see, the battle between Elijah and all 850 prophets wasn't a battle of the altars. It was a battle for their lives. They were trying to show which life will reign supreme. And the prophets of Baal, they tried to do everything. They were dancing for three hours, shouting, hooting and hollering, and then it got even worse because they couldn't get their altar to ignite. So, of course, Elijah, being hilarious, started to mock them. <laughs> Saying to them, shout louder. You know, surely he's a god. Maybe he's just busy. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's traveling. But you just got to shout louder. You got to get his attention. So, and they believed him. So they started shouting louder to the point where they were doing physical harm their bodies. They were slashing themselves with swords and spears till their blood flowed. And I'll research that word flow. It is not just a little trickle, it's where it was gushing out. All the, the crazy works, the crazy rituals or ideas they had to do and believe to get their altar to ignite did nothing because there was still no response. No one answered, and no one paid attention. The world is trying everything right now to find the right answer to set their altar on fire. But they have no idea that they're calling upon the wrong God. In actuality, they're calling upon the God of Baal, which is idolatry, because you are not supposed to have any other God before the Lord. So they're in sin. So really, they are calling upon the God of sin. And when you call upon the God of sin, the only thing he can give you is more sin. You ain't going to get sunshine and rainbows from the God of sin. You're not going to get that. He's just going to give you more sin. He's going to give you more of what he is. Because no one can get their life on fire without first knowing the God who has the fire. Elijah knew. That's why he called upon the name of the Lord. And then my favorite part is what Elijah did with his altar. In verse 30 it says this, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. See, the world's trying to tear down everything that the Lord has set up. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seah of seeds. So, a is about 24 pounds, so two of them be 48 pounds. This wasn't just a little ditch. This was a huge trench. Then he arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down the altar, and even filled the trench. As I was reading this, the Holy Spirit began to reveal to me that everything Elijah was doing, the preparation, the reason why he had everything done so specifically is because everything had a meaning. Nothing was just by accident or nothing was just because he wanted to. See, he took the 12 stones and he laid the base of the altar. Now see, the stones... The stones represent the, the unbreakable concrete foundations of your life. You, stones really aren't that flammable. I've never really seen somebody walk outside and just set a rock on fire. If you have, please let me know because I would like to see that. But I have never seen a stone just magically set on fire because they're really not that flammable. Those are the beliefs that are our core beliefs, whether of God or not of God. They could either be the beliefs of you believe who God said you are, or they can be the beliefs of, oh, I was just born this way. Oh, well, you know, my whole life no one told me that they love me, so I guess I'm believing I'm not lovable. When really the Lord says you are loved beyond all measure because he sent his son to die for you. They are the beliefs that really define who you are, the unshakable, unbreakable beliefs. But then on top of that, you got the wood and then you got the meat. So those two, they represent the things that really are flammable in your life. You can set flame to wood, you can burn meat. Those are the things you really don't mind giving up. Those are the things that, if they were to burn, they wouldn't hurt you. You really don't mind giving them up. It could be, you know, a recent offense that someone had. Maybe they said something and it just rubs you the wrong way. You don't mind giving that up because if you do, it's not going to hurt you. Those are the things on top, the surface level, material that everybody sees. Where if you were to set fire to the altar, they're seeing, oh man, that person's burning for the Lord. Look, look at the fire they got. That person's burning. But then, then he did something. Then Elijah had them dig a trench around the altar. See, that trench represents a separation between your life and the world around you. See, you're not supposed to separate yourself completely from the world because then what good are you? Yes, you're meant to be separated in a holy standard, but yet we're still living in the world. We are, we're in it. You can't separate yourself from the world. That's only when you die. Now, see, that altar is there and that trench is there because as it separates you, it's to stop anyone from getting too close to your altar. Is to stop them from looking and messing up the altar because right now it looks very good. Right now you got your stones laid, which is the base. Then you got the wood and you got the meat. It looks very, very pretty. It looks like a very easy altar to set on fire. So you dig the trench around because you don't want nobody messing with it. I like how it is. It looks good. Don't touch it. So everything's going good, and then Elijah had them do something that, every, that baffled everybody's processing thought. He had them do this in verse 33. He said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. Where the water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. So I was researching this because I wanted to figure out how big was a large jar. It's not just a, like a little large kitchen jar, maybe that big. A large jar back then is equivalent to a 55-gallon drum now. So you got to think of it. 55 gallons of water, four of them. Approximately 220 gallons of water. Not just once. Not just twice. But three times. 600... As 66 gallons of water was poured onto this altar. Some versions of this scripture say that the water drenched the altar. When something is drenched, that means that the water has now soaked to the core of whatever that object is. It's no longer surface level, it has now soaked to the middle of it. And the water filled the trench. See, so the water, of course, you can't set fire to water. Water puts out the fire. So when they drenched this altar in water, it filled the trench. It filled the gap that separated your life from everything else. Now it's holding onto what's not flammable. It is stopping you. It is hindering you from being set on fire because you dug that trench. It is now holding what is hindering you. And then I I was thinking, I was like, why did they use four jars? Was it because that's all they had? Was it because there was a reason? Why not use three? Why not use one? Why not use ten? What was the reason? And then the Lord revealed to me that each jar represented a different aspect of your life. See, one jar represents the world. Now, see, the world is just the grand scheme. It's the leaders of the world, and you can see now that the world is pretty messed up. See, they're just pouring out their water on you. They're pouring it out, making sure that you can't ignite. And then the second one is society and culture. Now, society and culture is different from the world because society and culture is your day-to-day life. It is your job, it is your friends who you're surrounded by, it is where you go on a day-to-day basis. See, at your job, you know, you can't say these things. You know, you, you can't say Jesus at the job. See, what I'm doing, I'm trying to pour, pour out the water. You're hanging around with bad friends, and you're thinking, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm going I'm to try to save them, but what you don't know is that they're pouring out their filth on you. They're pouring out their mistakes on you. They're soaking you down. The next one is your flesh. Now, your flesh is your day-to-day battle with yourself. Your flesh is trying everything it can do to stop you from following the will of God. stops you from progressing on and doing what God wants you to do because it wants you to serve itself. It wants you to serve your flesh. Your flesh wants to be God over your life. It's just pouring out its water, trying to get you to sin a little bit more. Trying to get you to say something you know you shouldn't. Trying to get you to look at something you know you shouldn't. Pouring out the water. And then the last one is the devil. And this is why I like the last one. Because the devil really don't have to do no no much. Everyone gives credit to the devil a little bit too often. Because what he does, he comes at the end. And after all of this has happened, he just pours on a little bit more and says, Well, you're already wet. You're already soaked. A little bit more won't hurt. A little bit more won't hurt. You're good. You're already too far gone. Just a little bit more. He really doesn't have to do much. He's just sitting there and waiting for you to be soaked already with the cares and the concerns of the world. And he'll just come at the end. And he'll just start pouring a little bit more water on you. (laughs) See, what he's doing, he's actually pouring more lies. That's all he is. He's a father of lies. He's just pouring out lies. You're too far gone. That's a lie. No one's too far gone. You're already, you're, you're too wet, you're too soaked. It's okay. No, no, you're not. The Lord can still set you on fire. I hear this one a little bit, a little bit too much. What a waste. He'll come, he'll come on and be like, what a waste. What a waste of an altar. What a waste of material. He's just pouring his water out. Elijah had them do this to prove a point. And if you look at what happened in this, because, you know, of course, the prophets of Baal were trying everything. They were trying everything physically that they can do. And the prophet Elijah did this in 1 Kings 18.36. Said, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, And licked up all the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, "The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God." See, I counted the words. Elijah prayed fifty-eight words. That's probably less than a minute prayer. Maybe I don't know, give or take a minute. When the prophets of Baal spent in over three hours and they couldn't do nothing. And you see, not only was the meat and the wood burned, not only was it just the surface-level stuff that was burned, the stuff that is flammable, but the stones, the things you thought were unflammable, were consumed. The soil under the altar was consumed. And it licked up all the water in the trench. See, that's the fire that defies defied all expectations because everyone was looking at that altar saying there's no way that that can be lit. There's no way. And the Lord's like, watch me defy that. Watch me set it on fire. And then if you look at the situation, he was in the worst situation possible. A drought. In fear for his life. The only one of the Lord's prophets left. Threats all around. He didn't stop. He knew he had a word of the Lord to carry. And he wasn't going to stop until he saw it through. So your situation is not going to stop what God's trying to do in your life. It's actually going to enhance it. Because of his situation, they started crying out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. See, so Elijah wanted to prove That nothing. There is nothing that the Lord can't set fire to. There is no one he can't set fire to. Ain't no altar too broken. Ain't no altar too wet. Too soaked down. Too miserable looking. He can set fire to it. Because see, nothing is ever going to be left. When the fire of the Lord falls. Everything was consumed. So there is no remnant of the past there is no remnant of what was before so anyone can't say well you know there's a little bit left here no 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 it was all gone the water was gone the soil was gone the stones the wood the meat everything was gone so that no one can say anything about the altar saying that you know there was a little bit there's a little bit of the world left on you no there's not my Lord burned it up because behold I'm a new creation the old things have passed away and the new has come Uh See, the Lord holds the fire that defies in any situation, in any odds, when everyone and everything is telling you there's no possible way it can burn, that's when He starts to work. That, that's, when he, that's when He shows up the best, is when everyone says there's no way. See, in Hebrews 12:29 says this, it says, "For our God. Is an all consuming fire. And since our God is an all consuming fire, whatever it touches has no other choice but to burn. Because, see, nothing can stop the fire of God. See, it doesn't matter what is thrown on your altar, it doesn't matter how much water is on it, it doesn't matter how pretty it looks. As soon as the fire of God touches it, it's burning. And then I want you to look at what happened to the people who witnessed this in verse 39. It says, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. When when you're set on fire, it's not for you. You're not just supposed to stay there and just burn. See, your fire is meant for everyone around you so they can see that the Lord did this so that they can see there's only one God, and he's the God who answers by fire. They see the unimaginable. The people are are witnessing God do the impossible. They're going to realize that the Lord is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who is the only one who is able to answer by fire. And that's how the people will know that our God is the true God when they see a living soul set on fire. But just as Pastor Carl was talking about last week, how the spirit of fire needs to hit the church. It needs to hit this church. Because there's a whole world happening that have never seen the fire. And as the church we need to start praying for this. Like, Lord, set me on fire. Lord, set me on fire so that the others can see. Because when Elijah prayed, he said, so prove yourself to be the Lord so that their hearts can turn back. Because when Elijah prayed, the fire didn't consume the Baal's prophet's altar. It consumed his. First, it needs, the fire of God needs to consume your life, and then the other people will witness it and believe that the Lord is the one true God. That's the fire that defies. Defies all odds, all expectations. And when believers are set on fire, true fire, that fire is seen brighter than ever before because that fire will be the light in the darkness for the people around you. See, it's only the fire of God, though. Because they were, the Baal prophets were trying their hardest to, to get their altar to ignite, and it didn't work. They were calling upon the wrong God. See, we call upon the God of fire. We call upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm going to close with this, with this question. Are you calling upon the right God? Are you calling upon the God who answers by fire? Or are you calling upon a God you think is going to answer by fire? Hallelujah. Stand with me. We're pretty light today. Don't really bother me. I'll preach to anybody, even if it's just one person. But I never want to not have a service where this is not asked. If you have never called upon the, the God who can answer by fire. If you're looking at your life and you're thinking to yourself, I think I've been calling upon the wrong God. Well, today is your day.